So the title of this message is called Forged in the Fire. And, um, and, and we'll start it tonight and go on in Sunday. And uh, well, I, I guess I, I got these thoughts floating through before we get into the word. And one of them is like how in Numbers chapter 13, uh, they were afraid to go, 10 of the spies were afraid to go up into the promised land, even though it was everything God had said it was, because there were giants there, right? And so I was, had these thoughts today. I was trying to think, did a giant ever win any time in the Bible? No. And so then there's, then there's David. David was the eighth son, of course, in Samuel 16, 17. He was the eighth son of, of uh, Jesse. And the forgotten one, I would call him, or maybe he was illegitimate. I don't know what the story was, but I know that Samuel had to ask, don't you have another kid? Because none of these seven are, are it. And so he took this obscure Shepherd boy, he was 17 years old at the time. But he had been anointed in, in Samuel chapter 16 to be the king. And so when you think about yourselves, again in Peter 2 and verse 9, that you are a royal priesthood and a chosen generation. And then when you think about Revelation 1, 5, and 6, that you're priests and kings unto your God. So that's who you are right now, even though you may be running from Saul. Even though Saul is trying to kill you, trying to discourage you. But now, but here comes Goliath, this big nine foot tall, ugly, a warrior from his youth. And here comes David, a shepherd boy. And really, you know, when you read the story, it's really cool because, you know, David had to step up on his chest and take his own sword and cut off his head. And, and when I think about that, it was like it was his, it was the step that would took him from obscurity. What I mean is the biggest giant, the biggest thing that he ever faced, which, which could have ruined him, was the very thing that God used to step him into his ministry. And so, like, when I look over this past few months, I, that's what I see. I see God has been setting things up, and some of these giant things are about to fall. No, they are. There is a complete reversal coming, and the church's greatest hour is upon us. No, it is. I mean, thousands of people. I mean, it's happening all over the world, and it's happening here, and, it's good, and, and, we, and we can really help the situation. Because I know when I started teaching on the glory, I said, God, I can't, I, 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 there's no way that I can produce it, <laughs> right? And, and so here we are at this stage of ministry, and um, what God wants you to know is that the faith that he gave you is going to require risk in order to have substance, Faith is a substance, but only when you take the risk. Peter had to get out of the boat and had to walk on the water. You're going to have to move in the gifts of the Spirit when, they, when, when you get that, your heart beating and you know that there's something that needs to be done and you're hoping somebody else will do it. You're the one. 
How many, how many times over the years I had somebody, matter of fact, just a month ago, I had this woman come up to me and she said, my husband should have been here to hear this. And I thought, well, you know, I wanted to say, did you hear it? <laughs> because usually the message that we think is for somebody else is probably something that we need ourselves because we need to be doing what we hear. We need to make sure that we're applying ourselves right now. Like God needs you. Again, Ephesians 1, 4, he chose you before the foundation of the world, and you're important to God. And, and if you're waiting for him to do something, you're going to wait a long time. It's your move. It's time to step out. It's time to get stirred up. It's time to get fired up. You can get as fired up as you want to. That's why I said on Sunday, lots of people, they could get fired up just if they tithed and gave offerings. No, no, because all of a sudden now, now I'm committed to this thing. Because people don't, that don't tithe and give offerings, uh, they're not really committed and they could fall away pretty easy. But, the, you know, some of the things that wake me up today, like I know people that, that started out with me 20 some odd years ago that are, and I mean, we're leaders in the church, not you know, not in, I mean, and now they're on Facebook drinking booze and smoking cigars and thinking and thinking and thinking they're okay. Like you talk about major deception. I mean, people that I know and people that walked with me, we walked together. And, and it's astonishing to think that those seductive spirits are that powerful. And I don't think that they are. I just think that if we can, if, as long as we can fire ourselves up and stay around people that are fired up, don't get around negative, ne you know, just, you know, Nelly, that's, uh, that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> no, no, they come up to you and they want to dump their garbage in your ear and then they walk away feeling better and you feel crappy. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. But anyway, let's go to, um, let's go to, hallelujah. Yeah, let's go there. Samuel chapter 13. Because I think that, I, I, I believe, yeah, I can prove it in the word, that with the fire of God, when you receive the word of God, it will work for you. But if the fire of God is not there, you'll just hear another word and, and, and go away. You know, but when you've been full of the Holy Ghost and fire, it sticks. It, it, it gets in you and it sticks with you. And so being fired up is a good thing. And the way to, again, the way to get fired up is to get around people that are on fire. Get around, and, and are they still there? Yeah, you can find them. They're harder to find because of what happened in the world here recently. But, you know, there's so many churches that aren't even opened yet. Because when you compromise, the fire goes out. No, no, like I looked at the church, the church over the years, and I watched friends, pastor friends, that didn't want anybody falling out in the spirit in their church anymore, that didn't want anybody getting up speaking in tongues anymore, that didn't want anybody praying for the sick in public anymore, take them in a back room somewhere, and because they didn't want to display the Holy Spirit, not thinking the Holy Spirit is God. He's not a manifestation. He's God. And if you don't want God in your church, man, you would. But, but now look, 
look, I mean, everybody can, you, you can quote Psalm 91. You know, it's so powerful to say. But if you don't believe it, if you don't act on it, if you're going to keep your church closed because of what the government says, well, it's against the law. Well, not, if, it's, if Walmart can open, the church can open. Yes, if Home Depot, I, I, I said we can all go have church in the home, home Depot in the plumbing section. What I mean is, the ch- no, no, but when I look at this whole thing, when I look at, look at it across the board, it's more about discouraging the church than anything else. Church is like, this is September, and churches are still closed. And closed not because of a pandemic, but because of fear. The fear. And so how, how are we going to deal with that? Well, that's what we're hoping to talk about tonight. So. So Samuel chapter 13, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, 2,000 for himself at Mishmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 he gave to his son Jonathan at Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent back to their house. And Jonathan smote, look at this in verse 3, and Jonathan smote the, the, the garrison of the Philistines that were in Gibeah. And the Philistines heard it, and looked, and Saul blew a trumpet throughout the all. Now, now Jonathan did the did the battle, but Saul blew the trumpet. And look what look look at what he said here. Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, "Let the Hebrews hear." And all of Israel heard. Saul say, "Saul has smitten the garrison of the Philistines," but he didn't. But he took the credit for it. And the first thing that you see there is Peter chapter 5. Pride comes before a fall. Pride comes before a fall. And so down he's coming. He's coming down. Verse 4. And all of Israel hid Saul and smitten the Gerasene, the Philistines, that Israel was an abomination with the Philistines. And the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. Now, Gilgal is, uh, well, let's take the time to look at it. Gilgal is over in Joshua chapter 4 or 5, chapter 4. Now, here they were, um, in Joshua chapter 4, they were crossing the Jordan River, and and it was flood stage. So it was a raging river, and the Lord told the priests that carried the Ark of the Covenant that was made out of gold. How many of you know gold is heavy? So they had this gold box, the Ark of the Covenant, gold on the outside, wood on the inside, the deity and the humanity of the Lord. And they had that, they were carrying that, the the cherubim bowed over the mercy seat and all that. They had that on their shoulders. And God said, I'm not going to part this like I did the Red Sea. You're going to walk up to it, and you're going to put your foot in the water. So what I mean is it's going to take a real act of faith to, like, this is not a time to have a faith fizzle and drown, right? 
They, they had to do that. And then, and then they even told the rest of them to come 2,000 cubits behind a type of Jesus coming into this same place. And we, we don't have time to get into all that. But, but then when, they, when it parted, he told uh, the 12 tribes, he got some big guys, leaders of each tribe. He said, I want you to pick up a rock from the wilderness and carry it down into the Jordan River and make a circle in the river. Then I want you to take 12 big rocks out of the river and take them up onto the promised land and make a big circle up there. The circle is called Gilgal. And so they carried, they put the 12 rocks out. And of course, the Bible says that the river split all the way from the Dead Sea all the way back to the city of Adam. Not a coincidence either. There's a spiritual implication of that too, because the law came. Now the law is going to come through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus and all that. All these things are being worked out. So anyway, they got Gilgal. So Gilgal was the place whenever they would have a battle, they would come back to Gilgal to remind themselves it was a memorial forever. Those rocks right there used to be in that flooded river, and God worked a miracle for us. Then the other 12 that were put in, representing the washing away of their old life, when you read John 1 and verse 28, I think it is, it says Jesus was baptized over in Bethabara, over against Jericho, and he went in and stepped right in the middle of that circle, the same place where the Ark of the Covenant had crossed 2,000 years earlier, and stood there and was baptized. No, it's powerful stuff. It's powerful stuff. But let's just read it here, so... Verse 5. And uh, Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the midst of Jordan, and take up everyone a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, that, they may, that this may be a sign among you that your children and your children and your future to come, saying, what do these rocks mean? Then you shall answer them and say, the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when we passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones are a memorial unto the children of Israel for ever. And the children of Israel did what Joshua commanded and took up the 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan as the Lord spoke unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of Israel and carried them over with them into the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up also 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bear the Ark of the Covenant stood and they're there to this day so that Jesus could come and do that, you see. But now, now when you read back over here in... Uh, in Samuel chapter 13, they returned to Gilgal. They returned to Gilgal whenever, the, Gilgal whenever they would have a battle to remind themselves, our God is greater. They didn't have a Bible. You know they didn't have a Bible, right? They had the Torah that Moses wrote, but that was a scroll, and I don't imagine they had too many copies. Paper wasn't invented or anything. So they were carrying around these big scrolls and things. So when there's three million people and a few scrolls, probably a lot of them never ever heard other than what was preached, right? The word of God. But they had Gilgal. And so it says, uh, they gathered together in Gilgal so that they could remember. But then this next verse says, and the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight Israel. 30,000 chariots. 
Now, to put that in proper perspective, Solomon had 1,400 in his day. 30,000 chariots, and I don't know, four, six, eight horses to each one. These chariots, and if you ever saw them in the movies, the way they depicted them, it's the way it was. They had spikes coming out the sides with blades on them. They had archers in the back behind the, the pilot, and they had war axes and spears and things like that. And so it was the most formidable, formidable weapon of the day. It was a, just a, and can you even imagine, I, I try to imagine 30,000 chariots, that's, that with the ground would shake like you'd hear those horses coming and it would be just a terror to think about. 30,000 chariots. Again, if you, if you want to go and check, uh, check out in First Kings, you'll find out that Solomon with his great army only had 1,400. So 30,000 is like outrageous. But then it goes on to say they gathered themselves to fight 30,000 chariots and then 6,000 horsemen. Well, a legion, we know from the legion of devils that were cast out of that guy, the Gadarene, a legion is 6,000. But this is not 6,000 troops. This is 6,000 horsemen, right? And the people were, and, and look at this, and the people were like the sand of the seashore for a multitude. And they came up and pitched in mishmash each the, east of Beth Haven. Can you imagine the fear? Can, can you just imagine the liberal, godless, humanistic people that are out there today trying to intimidate you? You are so outnumbered. If you go back to chapter 13 of verse 1, it says they had 3,000 people. And then, and then Saul sent them home. They were left with 600 people. And now there's this huge, massive, everybody is against you. Everybody's against the church. Everybody's against your circumstances. Doesn't matter. Right. Turn to somebody and say, it doesn't matter. Yeah. No, but it's like the 10 spies. And again, not one giant ever won. And so when you think about it, Goliath was God's gift to David. <laughs> no, the problems that are on the earth right now, are, they're a gift to you. If you'll get on the word of God and navigate yourself through it and realize that you're the, you're, you're the, you're the change agent. You're waiting for somebody else to fix the problem? No, it's you. You cannot be intimidated. You cannot be fearful. <laughs> well, let me read. Uh, <laughs> I looked up this quote today because I thought it just goes with it. This is from one of my favorite all-time movies, Braveheart. <laughs> no, no, but he was cool. Like he, he was cool. <laughs> and you know, he, they were grossly outnumbered. His sword to this day is still in a museum over there, and, and it's a it, it's a two it's two handed and really he was famous for having a heavy sword, <laughs> and he wasn't it wasn't a big big guy, but he had a big big heart. But this is what he said to his his troops in the day when when Longshanks was trying to intimidate them. He said, "Run." He, he talked to his troops. He said, "Run, and you'll live." at least for a little while. And you know, you can die in your own beds many years from now. But would you be willing to trade all the days from that date 
from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell all your enemies, you can take our lives, but you can never take our freedom. Come on. His problem, his problem was so much like the church today. He was trying to unite all the clans so that they could be one voice. And he was betrayed by his own. Right. And so, but this, this, this is not that day. This is the day that we, this is the day for the champions to rise. So, but look here, here it says in verse six, when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, I, I, I circled that and called that the spirit of fear. For the people were distressed. Then the people did hide, hide them. Then the people did hide themselves in the thickets and in the rocks and in the high places and in the pits. And some of the Hebrews went over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. And as for Saul, he yet stayed in Gilgal. And all the people, look at this, and all the people followed him. How? Trembling. Trembling. And of course, you know, part of this, the next section of this is where, where Saul was waiting for Samuel to come and offer up the, the burnt offering. And Samuel didn't come on time, so he took it upon himself. Don't take it upon yourself anytime. Stay in your place. Stay in your place. He took it upon himself. He got impatient and he took it upon himself to offer up a sock, uh, an offering. And he got out from under authority. And when he did, it was over for him. It was totally over for him. Matter of fact, in verse uh, 14, the Bible says that now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart. That's Acts 13, 22. God sought a man after his own heart. Was he a perfect man? No, he was flawed just like you and I. I'm so glad he was flawed because it lets you know, lets me know that we can do stuff for God. It means that you don't have to be perfect. I mean, he killed a man. He, come on, he stole a man's He had some issues. But he didn't let them destroy him. He repented and moved on, and God used him greatly, and, and he will with you too. The, the big deal is repentance. Repentance is simply humbling yourself. And like I said, I think last Sunday, we all know when God is moving, when people come up here and fall forward instead of backwards. It's like, hey, God, you know what? I'm not all that. I, I, without, without you, I'm nothing. Right? Without you, I'm nothing. And, and he gets all the glory. Come on. He, he's, he's. But in order for that, the, because God wants to use his church, he wants to use you. He, he doesn't want just the pastor being the deal. I keep saying that. I keep hammering that home because you need to get that. You need to get that. Because he'll speak to you to do something in a church service. And if you're proud, you won't. And if you're humble, you will. <laughs> okay, where am I? Verse, uh, verse 14. So he said, he said, I saw the man after my own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be the captain over the people because you have not kept 
what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel rose and got up from Gilgal and Gibeah unto Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people that were present with him. And now he's down to 600 people. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people that were present with him abode in Gilgal and Benjamin. But the Philistines were over, over there waiting for the mishmash. And the spoilers came out of the camp of the Philistines, th three companies of them. And they turned away to Oprah of Winfrey in the land of Shul. No. And another company turned to the way of Beth Hurin, and another company turned the way of the border to look to the valley of uh, Zeboim toward the wilderness. But here, look at this verse 19. Now there was no smith. Any smiths here tonight? There was no smith in Israel at the time. And what, what the Philistines did was they came and they took the forges out of the country so that they couldn't make any more swords. They couldn't make any more weapons. So, so that when they took away the forge, when they took away the fire, when, when the devil comes and takes away the fire, then the church can't make any more weapons. What weapons do I need? Well, the sword of the Spirit, Ephesians 6, 17 says, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Hebrews 4, 12 says, it is alive, it is powerful, it is sharper than a two-edged sword piercing to the dividing asunder of the soul, the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And without a forge, there's no fire. And so it was just, without the fire, you, you, you can confess the word of God, but there's no, there's, there's no edge to it. There's no, it's dull. Well, and you can see this here. It says that there was no, there were no weapons in Israel. And even when they wanted to sharpen their work tools, they had to go down to the Philistines and, 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 and use their stuff. This is a bad scene. Verse uh, 22, so it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but Saul and Jonathan, his son. There, so, so in all of Israel, there's two swords. And we just read the size of the military. So, so in this city, maybe there's only two churches that are meeting right now. One of them is in the sheath. Saul's, it was, he, he didn't even have it, have it out. He went and sat on it, on, under a pomegranate tree and kept his sword in the sheath. So we're down to one man with one sword. And what the message is, is one is enough. Yes. One is, you're enough. You, what you do when you release your faith and make your declarations, you're enough. You're enough to turn the tide. Well, we need more people. No, you just need to get on you. So it says, but with Saul and Jonathan, his son, there was found. And the garrison, the Philistines went out to the passage at Mishmash. I'm checking the time here. Oh, yeah, I got time. Don't look at your watch. Okay. Uh, now it came to pass on that day, on, on a day, a day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bore his armor. So now there's, now there's a guy with a sword and a guy that's carrying the shield. Right? That's, that's what you got. Okay? And so he said, he said, uh, come and let us, come, 
Come and let's go over against the Philistines. Well, that's a great idea. Let me see. There's 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, in uh, a multitude like the sand of the seashore that you can't count. And there's me and there's you. There's Paul and there's Silas. There's two, two guys now going to get this deal done. And Saul tarried at the uttermost part of Gibeah. In other words, as far, as far, away, as far away as he could get right, from the battle, and sat under a pomegranate. I don't even know what they look like. And the people that were with him there were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ichabod's brother, Ichabod means, you know, the glory has departed. So <laughs> it's not good there either. The son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest at Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And all the people didn't know that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages... So he's got his sword and there's a place to cross over to the Philippines, Philippines, <laughs> Philistines. Lord, is that a sign? Hallelujah. <laughs> and between the passages, which Jonathan thought to, sought to go over to the Philistines garrison, there was a sharp rock formation on one side and a sharp, rock formation on the other side. And the name of the one was Boses and the other one was Sinan. And Boses means, it's interesting too, because I, I really relate to that because, because Boses means the shining. And the other word means thorns. And when I think about that, and I do think about that because I think about 28 years of ministry and, and all of the things that we've been through. And there was shining moments <laughs> no, there was awesome times. But now again, I got to remember what, what God told me back in Isaiah 40, uh, 41 or 43, rather. Forget the things that are behind. Because if you don't forget the things that are behind, you can't press on to what's new. And, and so there's a forgetting that has to take place. But when I think back, the shining, we had shining moments. And then we had moments where it was thorny. And we passed through the middle of it. But again, I, I've been having this conversation with a number of people over the years. My best times were in the thorns. Like we would have a couple of hundred people in our services all the time, and it was shining. And then we had a bunch of people, you know, you know, for whatever reason, I'm not, you know, things, life happens. And so we went through the thorns, but I feel like now... We're passing over toward the enemy camp. Come on, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. Gates don't attack anybody. So if the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church, it sounds like we need to be storming the gates of hell. Wouldn't you say that? The gates of hell won't prevail against anybody. Well, that means we're coming in. We're going to take what's ours and walk back out. So it says the, foref the forefront of one was to the north toward against Mishmash, and the other was to the south against Gilgal. And um, Jonathan said, I've got a sword, and there's a place to cross over. <laughs> Are you with me? <laughs> no, but think about, think about the hordes. 
Think about the liberal, think about what's going on in the world right today. And it's all about intimidation. It's all about the church can never overcome this. Oh, yeah, by many or by few. Well, we just need some more people. No, you need to operate in what you got. You need to, you know, get, get, the, get the, put some risk to your faith. Start stepping out and doing things you've never done before so you can get things you've never had before. That woman, by the way, 30 years, she fought that. And she's preached. You should have heard her. Go to the latest Sid Roth and listen to that woman preach, man. The devil tried to kill her. And now she's just wide open. And so I don't know what you've been through. You know, I know that I know that if you've been serving God, you've been through things. Because when you serve God, you get a cross and a bullseye. That's your induction. Right? <laughs> You carry the cross, and he said, deny yourself, carry the cross, follow me. And then you get the bullseye because the devil hates you. How many of you know that the devil doesn't like you? But let's, let, let me, let me, let's, let's get this done because we need to see how this backfires on the enemy. Jonathan said to the young man that bore his armor, come, let's go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. Just exactly what David said to Goliath. In other words, you don't have a covenant and I do. Therefore, it doesn't matter how many of you there are. I've got a covenant. You've got to know that God is for you. You've got to know that you have a covenant and a covenant keeping God. And it doesn't matter what it looks like. Order your conversation right. Keep talking the word of God. How long will it take? How long you got? He said, these uncircumcised, it, well, look at this, may, it may be that the Lord will work for us, for there's no restraint with the Lord to save by many or to save by few. <laughs> well, we just need more people. No, you don't. You need to act on what you have and watch it multiply. It's like tithes and offerings, like Caleb was praying there tonight. You know, you know they came to the widow and said, what do you have in the house? She said, well, now you mentioned I do have a cruise of oil. He said, well, then go and get some bottles and not a few. Like, you know, you've always got something. You've always got something. And that's something. What did Moses have? He had a stick in his hand and God said, raise the stick. <laughs> I just need more. No, you don't need anything. Everything that you need is already sitting up on the inside of you. It's already there. You just need to pull it up, pull it out. Amen. So his armor bearer said unto him, I love this. This is, I have armor bearers here, but whenever I read this, I think about Pastor Paul. This, is, this has been Paul from day one. And there's others of you that have been just as faithful and true over the years. His armor bearer said unto him, do what is ever in your heart. Do what's in your heart. See, but that's a servant's heart. Do whatever's in your heart, and I'm with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we'll pass over unto these men, and we'll, and we'll, and we'll show ourselves to them. This is the craziest thing. You're going to walk over and say, Hey, here we are. Right? Do don't, don't, you read these stories? and don't, Doesn't it make you laugh? 
We just 30,000 chariots. The ground shook for days before they parked. Now the horses are all over the valley. 30,000 chariots means at least 80 or 90,000 horses, plus the horses for the 6,000. This is a huge thing. And I'm going to go and say, hey. <laughs> yeah, it's me. Yeah, you know, the king's son, King Saul who's over hiding under a pomegranate tree. I'm his kid. We're here. Here we are. We're not hiding. Now, if they say this to us, stay where you are and we'll come to you. Then we'll stand still in our place and we'll not go up to them. But if they say, come on up here, we'll go up for the Lord has delivered them into our hand. And this shall be the sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, behold, the Hebrews have come forth out of their holes that they've hid themselves in. Then the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bear, come on up to us and we'll show you stuff. Come on up here. We'll show you, right? Jonathan and his armor bear came up. He said, come after me for the Lord has delivered. Come after me for the Lord has delivered me in my hand. So I'm thinking the first thing is, okay, now Jonathan's got to kill a guy and get his sword to give him to the armor bearer. So, so now there's two swords, but they're still outnumbered 20 to, 20 to 2. So it, it, just in this, little, in this little company. Come up here, we'll show you a thing. Jonathan climbed up with, on his hands, climbed up on his hands and knees. And the armor bearer after him, and they fell. You talk about being in a vulnerable position. It's almost like when they got circumcised outside of Jericho. <laughs> you know, and they had to sit in, in the tent door for a week waiting to heal up before they could attack the city. God will put you in a place where you need to be vulnerable. Why does he do that? Because he's building character. Because he's building faith. So that the more you can believe him, the more he can do through you. He needs you. He needs your decrees. He needs your voice. He needs your hands. He can't touch anybody. He needs your hands. He said, you lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. You do it. You do it. So uh, Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and the armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed after him. And that first slaughter, which was Jonathan and his armor bearer was 20 men in a half acre of land that a yoke of oxen would plow. But now look what happened. But look what happens when you step out in faith. Look what happens. There was a trembling of the host in the field and among all the people of the garrison and the spoilers, and they also trembled. Now the thing is totally reversed. And the earth quaked so that it was a very great trembling. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah and of Benjamin looked and saw the multitude, look at this, the multitude melted away. And they went on beating down one another. I'm, I'm going to stop there. There's more, but I will stop there because of the time. But that's, that's, that's what happens when you step out in faith. That's what happens when you dare to believe God. That's what happens when you dare to risk faith and give it substance. When you risk you get substance to your faith. It's just what happens. You can do this. You can do this. There's lots of people that 
when you get to heaven, you'll be surprised. You never heard of them, but they sat at home in a rocking chair maybe and declared the word of God over an area and over a city and over a nation. Come on, he said, he promised us that we would baptize nations in his name. He said that there would be sheep and goat nations in the last day. There's nations out there, and, and you're saying, well, if we just had more people, we can mobilize? No, we just read. All he needs, all he needs is you. I said, all he needs is you. He just needs you. You, you're enough. You're enough to change your city. You're enough to change your province. You're enough to change your nation. You. Just stand up and say, here we are. (laughs) Here I am. (laughs) Get your fire. God wants you fired. Can we just look at, can we look at one more verse? I think it's Jeremiah 23, 19 or Jeremiah 19, 23 or somewhere like that. Jeremiah said this in one place. He said, God's word is a fire in my bones. When you start declaring the word of God and you got fire in you, when you got Holy Ghost fire in you, how do I get the Holy Ghost fire in me? Believe in God. He said, I'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Well, I don't feel it. You don't have to feel it. You don't have to feel faith. Faith isn't a feeling. Faith is not a feeling at all. Sometimes you feel unbelief. When you... <laughs> how about, how about uh, 2329, Jeremiah? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Well, here's something else you need to consider. In order for God to sharpen up your sword, he's going to have to heat you up and beat you with a hammer. I know. I remember taking welding courses, and they gave us a blacksmith course, and that was part of it, how to temper steel. Heat it up, slam it with a hammer, cool it down, heat it up, cool it down. And so if that's your experience in life, you're going to be a sharp two-edged sword. Yeah. But, you know, you know so God wants to hammer on you, so just be excited about that. <laughs> My word is a fire. It's like a hammer. Hammer me, God. <sighs> hammer. I want... I I prayed this last year. I said, God, just just give me 20 more years that I can be effective. And after 20 years, if I'm feeling good, we can renegotiate. (laughs) But if you're younger, you, you need to know that this is the golden opportunity for a Christian. Yeah, yeah, the liberals are out there. Yeah, yeah, the godless people are out there. Yeah, they're they're but they're candidates for salvation. <laughs> right? <laughs> like the, most of the people that we see out there that are demonstrating are confused. They don't have any ide- identity and so the devil comes along and gives them purpose. 
even though it's corrupt purpose, they're looking for something to identify with, and they identify with the wrong things because the right thing is hiding. The right thing closed its door back in March and hasn't opened up yet. We were the ones that should have been the example. We're the ones that say, hey, you know, we're the ones that lay hands on the sick and they recover. We're not the ones that spread sickness and disease. We're not that people. We're the ones that lay hands on the sick and they recover. We're the ones that know the way out. We're the ones that know the way up. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.